What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers, and we've got a pretty fun episode for you guys today. We are sitting down with Parker McDonald from Southern Ground Hunting to discuss mobile hunting. Parker brings a unique perspective to mobile hunting, and he discusses adventure hunting and the challenges and the rewards that he gets from that. He also talks about his water access and how he's utilized a kayak to get in on deer and how that has made him more successful. We also talk about saddle hunting. Parker has been a big saddle hunter for the last few years now, and it's really paid off for him. So I think you folks are really going to enjoy this conversation. Parker's a great guy, and um, there was some IT difficulties throughout the podcast, but we have all the content, and it's pretty clear. Um, It just took quite a bit of editing to get that done. So there may be some audio changes that you guys notice, but... um, the quality of the podcast is is doing a lot better. We just had a hiccup along the way. Regardless of that, this podcast is brought to you by Rack Daddy Minerals. And right now, you can go to rackdaddyminerals.com, save yourself 10% using the code 573. I don't know about you guys, but for me, right now is pivotal in identifying target bucks. And the best way for me to do that with my busy schedule is to utilize trail cameras. I throw some Rack Daddy Mineral out in front of my trail cameras, and it seems to do the trick. Not only are you getting pictures of these bucks, but you are able to identify these bucks, and they sit in front of the camera for a little bit and eat on that Rack Daddy. So you get an idea of exactly what this buck looks like, and when the moment of truth and that buck is coming in, you have no doubts that's the buck that's coming in, and you can make a quick decision with no confusion. So that's just one of the many reasons I use Rack Daddy Mineral. You guys should go check it out. It's good stuff, good product. With that being said, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here we go. We are rolling. I've got Parker McDonald on from Southern Ground Hunting. Parker, welcome to the show, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I've been uh, keeping up with your content, whether it's been on YouTube or, or your own podcast, for quite a while now. So, really been excited uh, to, to get you on the show and talk about hunting with you. Yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, we're in that time of the season, the time of the year where bucks are like people are posting pictures of velvet deer and a lot of their growth is has already happened you know and so like usually here in alabama we have uh the the world deer expo that happens usually every year it used to happen at the beginning of july and like that little mark like once the world deer expo happened it was like it, it was like all downhill from right there it's like man kentucky is going to be opening up soon Tennessee velvet hunts coming up like in a month from today I'll be hunting so it's like I'm getting giddy man like I'm getting way too excited right now I'll be honest with you since turkey season wrapped up I really haven't had the itch too much um I recently my wife and I had a baby in April 
And so I just been focused on that. So I've really been slacking on the trail cameras, but I did put a couple out in a spot and went and checked them and I had a couple decent velvet buck pictures and I'm like, the itch is back. I'm ready to yeah. go. And uh, it, it couldn't have come a better time because I think we got a month out. So I got to start getting stuff ready to go. Absolutely, man. And like, um, I'm not a big trail camera guy either. Like I have absolutely zero trail cameras out right now. Um, it's just not ever really been my thing, but like, I'd be lying if I said like, when I see guys talking about trail camera pictures and like finding these target bucks that they're going to go after and it, it gets me excited. It gets me fired up, even though it's not my pictures or my deer or anything. I'm still excited about it. It's funny that you say that. Um, I have always been a proponent of trail cameras. You know, it's something I love to run just it's it's a different aspect for me just to go out and just check them. You know, it makes that that's a different part of hunting that's really fun for me is just going and checking them. But this year, because I've been late to getting them out, I almost thought to myself, maybe this year I just won't put any out and uh, see how it goes. You know, um, mm-hmm. because last year I th- I thought I I took hunting a little too seriously and uh was trying to hunt different caliber of deer and you know now you know i I, this year i kind of want my goal is to just have fun and make it fun again so you know maybe i'll take you take your own advice and just not put any cameras out at all this year well for me it's and i know we're not necessarily talking about this stuff quite yet but for me trail cameras are like a fish finder Mm -hmm. I, I, i used to be a big time bass fisherman i loved bass fishing from a kayak it was like my jam it was my bread and butter i really enjoyed it um now that i've gotten had kids and stuff like that like I, i'm not nearly as much into it um just because i had to pick i had to pick one i couldn't be gone all fall and then all summer and all spring for turkeys you know so i just had to choose a time that i would dedicate to family and the summertime is definitely that but uh i see all these guys with uh fish finders and depth finders and all this stuff and i wish that i I want to use one i really do because i feel like i've probably missed out on some big fish because i didn't have that and i just moved on to another area but my style of fishing is so similar to my style of hunting like i fish better when i move when i'm mobile and it's the same thing about with with deer hunting if i get stuck on an area because i have two pictures at night of a big buck i will I will like laser focus on that area and I feel like it will hurt me more than it'll help me. I'll spend all my time trying to be in that one area, probably blow that whole area out. And because, because I have the picture of a big buck though, it'll keep me coming back and you know, maybe it would help me, but I feel like for my style and what I like to do, it would, it would hurt me more than anything. Um, I, I, I really do well when I can move around, when I have space and you know several different areas that i can focus on um and hunt those areas uh i did a podcast last night with my buddy uh casey from the element oh yeah Um, love those guys yeah they're awesome and he used a word that was perfect um and so i'll quote him he says i try to be knowledgeably aggressive (laughs) and um that's like the the way that I can be knowledgeably aggressive. Like the aggressive part to me is the being mobile. And I feel like if I were putting up a bunch of cameras everywhere, it would it would make me 
completely unaggressive. You know, yeah. like I would I would focus on that. And also, man, this time of year, I'm I'm primarily hunting public land here in Alabama. So this time of year in the big woods of Alabama, we don't have crops and we can't put out minerals and we can't put out corn. Um, and it's just kind of monotonous big woods. Right. And so mm-hmm. once I could put out cameras right now and maybe get some pictures of bucks, if I could figure out where they're summering at, but come deer season, I mean, our season opens October the 1st in the zone that I'm in. And once that happens, I mean, everything's different. Like those bucks aren't even a lot of time going to be even close to where they were at during the summer. Cause once acorns start dropping, like that just shifts everything. So it's really kind right. of, in my opinion, a waste of time for me um, to even go out and put out trail cameras. Sometimes I will just so I can get out in the woods and be doing something, you know, during the summertime. Yeah. I, for the most part, I don't use them. I think uh, one thing that you mentioned was that if you saw a deer and a deer that you maybe wanted to pursue and you went out and hunted it and you spent more than two days hunting it in that area that you feel like you'd be wasting your time, well, it's uh, just kind of like the opposite of probably what most guys think. Most guys think, well, if I'm not there when he's there, I'm missing out. So they only stay in that spot too. So, you know, I just think that's kind of funny. And I think we've kind of given a little teaser into what this episode is going to be about, maybe talking about mobile hunting and out-of-state hunting because that's kind of where I wanted to, to go. But before we get into that, I think – we should uh, give my listeners uh, a little bit of knowledge about who you are and a little bit about your background. So kind of tell us um, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, what you do in the outdoor space. Yeah, so like I said, my name is Parker McDonald. I do um, a hunting uh, brand, I guess you could call it. It's a podcast, YouTube channel. put out a bunch of stuff on social media as well um, called Southern Ground Hunting. And I really try to have a focus on the south on the southeastern united states whether it's a guest on my podcast occasionally we'll have somebody not from the south but for the most part we stick to this topic of of southern deer and the reasoning is like when i first started there wasn't a lot out there about southern hunting there's a bunch of stuff about midwestern northern even some western stuff but the south was kind of this like what is the phrase redheaded stepchild or something like that. <laughs> um, but, but we have a very rich hunting culture. Honestly, you have to hunt it differently than you do some of these other Midwestern States. Like I said, like we have a lot of monotonous big wood stuff. It's extremely thick. So there's not a lot of places that you can go out and watch deer and bean fields, you know, all summer long. And, um, and aside from all that, it's very hot down here for a lot of the season, comparatively speaking, to the, to the rest of the country. And so there are different things about hunting in the South, and um, I found myself being pretty successful killing deer down here. And so I was like, well, there's not a lot about it. Uh, this is kind of a niche. I'll start something. And so I started this YouTube channel, and the thing that makes what I do maybe a little bit unique is I really focus on water access. Uh, into these public land areas. And in my opinion, like over the years, I've learned a lot um, just about deer. And so I feel pretty confident that I could go to a spot that wasn't water access down here and probably um, 
have pretty decent success um, just because I've learned deer movement from doing it this way. But I would say, without a doubt, the thing that's made me the most successful is the willingness to, to try something a little bit different. And um, the water access was definitely that. And I know there's a lot of content out there about it right now. So there was like a lot of content about, uh, or there is now, about water access hunting. At the time, when I first started, there was nothing. I mean, nothing. Like, I, I wish I, I give this guy credit a lot, and I don't even know who he is. There was one video on YouTube of some guy from Louisiana who was, uh, he was like just paddling out a big giant buck in a swamp. Um, but it didn't have the hunt or anything. It was just literally just a cell phone video of him paddling out this big, big buck. And that was the only video that I could find while I was just trying, I was trying to mostly figure out gear. Like what are some things maybe I'm not thinking about that I'll need to have to, to do this style of hunting. And I initially started out with a kayak and I still use kayak a lot for, um, for the right application. But I just recently bought a boat and, um, like in January of this year, I bought a boat and it is going to be amazing. I can't wait to, to hunt with that all season long. It's going to open up a lot of new opportunities. Um, but while there's like, I think in myself included, you like, we like to talk about it because it makes you feel like hardcore, right? Like, like man, I'm going out in the water and, and it is like, it, it is an adventure. It, they're adventure style hunts. But what I find is even though there's a lot of really good content about it um, now, people still aren't willing to do it a lot of times. So you can give away all kinds of information about, about um, you know, one thing about water access is if you show the banks, like it's really, if, if a local happens to see your video, somebody who fishes that specific lake or river, um, it's pretty easy to figure out based on terrain and the, the banks and things like that. You can figure out where somebody's hunting pretty easily if you watch a video. And, um, but even with that being said, like, it's still not, there's still just not a lot of people that do it. And so the ones who are able to kind of get past the, the nervousness of the, the first few times, um, cause you see that a lot, like opening weekend, there'll be five, six boats, seven boats out there. And after the first weekend, it's like nothing. There's just not very many people out there because there are things that you don't realize are going to be an issue like fog early in the morning. Um, if you've ever ridden a boat in fog, it'll dude, it'll make your butthole wink, man. Like it is, it's scary. Um, yeah. If you got any type of current, um, any type of wind, you know, it can be, it can be pretty terrible. Like it can be pretty rough. Um, and so a lot of people just end up like, yeah, I'm just going to walk in somewhere. Uh, and so it's able to, it's helped me be able to, um, because I have gotten past that. Like now for me going and getting on the water in the pitch black dark with fog, is just kind of a normal hunt. Like you eventually get used to, that's just how I hunt, right? Like that's just how thing. And occasionally, you know, I'll have some butt pucker moments. Um, like I've had several, oh, there was one time in my kayak, I had a two and a half horsepower motor on it and, uh, I was in this swamp area and there was these uh these cypress trees cypress stumps 
And a cypress stump, the way it comes about out of the water, it just looks like a horn. Like, like it's just a pointed, and it's really, really hard wood. And there was one just right underneath the surface of the water, and I full bore, full speed, popped that thing, and it turned my whole boat sideways, knocked my paddle out of my, and it was dark, you know, like I was, it was scary. So those moments still happen, um, but you just kind of get used to them, right? Like, and, and the payoff is great. It's really good. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, the, what you're talking about with people just, you know, not executing when they hear this kind of stuff on podcasts, even though it's super effective, is just the fact that, I mean, it is a lot to do every single time you want to go hunt. You know, is get a kayak ready, get your hunting gear ready. You know, it's 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 hard for people to to get that or have the time to to get to get in there. So I understand why it's not always executed, but man. If you do execute it, it can be killer, and I know you've had a lot of luck with it. Yeah, it's been great, man. I mean, like I said, early on when I first started this thing, like I would not hunt anywhere that wasn't a water access place. Like I just saw so much benefit from it. Now, you know, because I've been able to go into these unpressured areas and watch deer do deer things, it's taught me a lot about deer and in the same way as somebody who lives like where you're at in Missouri or somebody in Iowa, they get the opportunity to watch deer do what they do because there's just a lot of deer and, um, and a lot of big bucks, you know, around that area of the Midwest, it's, you have bigger bucks so you can learn quicker what big bucks do. And so being able to go into these unpressured areas by water, I see a lot of deer. And I see a lot of bucks, um, especially during the rut. I see a good number of bucks. And I'm, I've been able to put together this formula or system that uh, I can execute whether or not I'm on water access or not. You know, um, I can walk into a place in Kentucky, especially if the terrain is similar to what I hunt at home. I can walk into a place in Kentucky and be able to figure out what deer are doing relatively quickly there. But there are some things that are, that are absolute, I would say not, maybe not absolute. That might be a strong word, but they're common and finding unpressured areas is the number one thing. I think, you know, like, so you're, I'm either going to use a boat or a kayak and I'm going to water access or I'm going to walk a pretty good distance. And every so often you'll find these things, um, these areas that are, um, quote unquote, the overlooked spots. You hear Dan and fault talking about them a lot. You hear a lot of guys. I, I think a lot of people talk about overlooked spot because it's an easy cop out to not have to walk very far. Um, we were actually talking about it on, on this podcast last night. Uh, but overlooked spots, in my opinion, are these areas that you stumble upon. It's not areas that you'll necessarily pick out from a map because if you're picking it out from a map, then probably most people are also picking it out on a map. If it's a spot that's, you know, right next to a parking area, a hundred yards away from a parking area, it's not overlooked spot, you know, like it's just not, it's not going to be the overlooked spots are the ones that, um, you know, uh, Maybe it's a, maybe it's like right next to somebody's backyard, right, right on the edge of a public property or something where, or maybe it's, uh, 
I don't know. It, it, it still is not pressured. Like, that's the point of overlooked. It's you where, know, it's it's where people the, don't want to go sometimes. And even though the terrain features from a map appear as though it'd be a good spot, like a good deer funnel or a good pinch, the deer aren't there because the people are. And so right. yeah, I get what you're saying right there. It's just, just, you know, it's not always about the map. It's sometimes just about the pressure and it makes total sense. Yeah, and, and, and you can find these areas like you you can find them. There are definitely I've got several spots that I consider overlooked spots. And the reason they're overlooked is because there's absolutely nothing special about them. Like there's nothing there's nothing there that says deer should be here. But because they're unpressured, because they don't look special, a lot of times uh, a, a bigger deer or just maybe numbers of deer are going to, to be there. You know, they're, they're going to be in there because the number one thing is pressure. And so um, I, I hear a lot, of, a lot of people, if you watch YouTube for longer than an hour, you're going to watch some guy say, I'm on an overlooked spot and they're in a cornfield. And you're like, no, bro, that's not an overlooked spot. Um, that's just a spot that was easy to get to. Um, and so, you know, again, going back to this, this water access stuff, man, it's really been a a big eye opener for me and everybody that I know that will stick, that sticks with it, figures out their system, they figure out this formula and, um, their access and they, you toughen up, right? If you, if you do it for, if you plan to commit to this style, you've, I mean, you've got to grow a pair at some point because, because it is, it is dangerous a lot of times. Um, it's spooky, man. I've been on, I've been on one river where a barge came by me at night. Um, and there wasn't just a lot of room to maneuver around the barge. It was a river and, these barges are massive when you get up next to them in person, like they're, they're gigantic. It's, it's awkwardly big. And, uh, it was raining one night, it was dark and here comes a barge. That's freaky, man. Like it's like the possibilities of things that could go wrong in that scenario are great. Yeah, they're, they're great. And it's just, it, it just kind of comes with the territory. In that situation, I just beached my boat, pulled it up onto the bank like 10 or 15 yards and waited it out, waited till that barge came by because, I mean, the the wakes coming off of that thing were, I mean, it would, it would, it would, uh, on that specific place, it has um, uh, flooded boats of friends that I know. Like, they'll leave their boat tied up and a barge comes by and it'll just knock water into them yeah it's just crazy so so in all that to say like there's a there's a lot of things that can go wrong with it you just kind of have to be prepared for it <laughs> so um you know definitely water access is one component of mobile hunting but uh i do kind of want to dial back a little bit um we were kind of talking about you know what the inspiration for for southern ground hunting was and then we got off and started talking about kayaks and stuff like that. And you talked about the rich Southern tradition um, and that how it was different from, you know, Midwestern or, or other aspects of the U.S. and felt like it was untapped territory. And that's kind of why you were going into into that. And uh, I'm assuming you're from 
south the south or southeast is that right yeah i'm well kind of i'm actually more from the southwest i was born and raised in west texas um i moved to alabama whenever i was 18 and uh worked in a church here for a lot of years and uh i lived in georgia for a short amount of time for a couple of years and hunted out there quite a bit so most of my adult life i've been in the the deep south the dirty south and uh and so our our hunting most people who hunt out here are on some type of like lease property uh we call them hunting clubs so it'll be timberland paper company land that gets leased out and uh you'll have one guy a club president who um you know, gathers a bunch of people, 10, 15 people to hunt this one property. And that's the lease. Right. And, um, that's how a lot of people hunt. That's how I hunted. I used to hunt out here. And honestly, occasionally I still do it. Um, from time to time, I haven't been on a deer lease, uh, or a hunting club for deer. I guess it's been probably five years, but I'll, I'll get on them for turkeys for sure. Um, but what I've found is doing a lot of this public land stuff and under, and learning deer and understanding deer has made me so much more effective on hunting clubs. Like I'll get invited to go hunt private property from time to time and I'm just more effective on these properties, you know, putting, putting and and not, not hunting it the way that I used to, like I used to hunt over the over the corn piles and uh and food plots out there and i mean yeah like being raised in west texas i grew up hunting corn feeders and shooting houses like that's just how we hunted and uh and a lot of people get sucked into that out here baiting just recently became legal the last few years in alabama it's it's legal in a lot of states right here and becoming more uh popular for states to to go ahead and make that legal um and a lot of guys will just get it's so hard to think that you should be hunting somewhere else other than that bait pile right it's so tempting to go and hunt those spots but what what we know what a lot of most of your hardcore guys the guys who are incredibly successful are they they understand that the bigger bucks are not going to be in those areas often. Like occasionally during the rut, you might get one, um, but they're not going to be in in those areas just a ton. So you didn't always you weren't always a mobile hunter. You had grown up kind of hunting in the way that you talked about. How, uh, when did it change for you? You know, mobile hunting has probably always been around, but it seems like in the last five to seven years, it's really been popular. And I'm just kind of curious to to know when you started hunting mobile and and how it progressed. Yeah, I would say about seven years ago is when I started uh, started hunting this way. And it was very easy for me to, it was very easy for me to um, uh, commit to it because it worked so well the first year that I, that I really committed to it. And so after that, it was like the first, it was the first year, the first year I decided to go 100% public land, mobile, using the, using the kayak and doing all that stuff. Um, I did it a hundred percent of the time. It was the first year I ever tagged out on bucks in Alabama. 
and I'd been hunting private land, you know, and, and really nice properties and stuff. And it was the first year I tagged out on bucks. Now, granted, they weren't big, but at that point, my first year, it was like, man, I I just want to shoot deer, right? I want to, I want to figure this thing out. And so it's gradually grown from there. Um, that being said, uh, so before I had a saddle, um, I was hunting from climbers and, uh, even when I was on a lot of these hunting clubs, like I had kind of started listening to guys, uh, on podcasts like the wired to hunt podcast, uh, Dan, uh, Dan's, uh, nine finger chronicles, Dan Johnson, nine finger chronicles. He was talking to, to different guys and this was kind of when podcasting first kind of hit the hunting scene. And I was learning these little things um, that I was putting into play on these uh, private pieces that these hunting clubs that I was in. And my success was going up, right? Like it was, it was progressing. And, um, you know, no doubt if it had, I never even stepped foot or, or never even committed a hundred percent to public land hunting, I would have progressed, right? Because it, that's just, the, that was the way it was going for me. And, and actually, uh, in Georgia, so the very first year that I was hunting, uh, that I was really trying to expand my knowledge as a hunter, it was before I started doing public land and water access and all that stuff. But I was, I was learning these things from these podcasts and putting them into action and just binging the the wired to hunt podcast and nine finger chronicles. And, uh, I killed two of the best bucks that I've ever killed. Um, one of them is still my biggest deer ever. I killed it that year just by being mobile and thinking a little bit outside of the box. Not, not crazy. You know, I wasn't doing anything nuts, but I was just thinking, I was like, you know what? That spot right there seems like nobody else ever pins. Nobody pins into that spot. I wonder why, like there's a food plot in it. Like it's got really good habitat. You got a hardwood bottom down there, but I never, there's not a stand and I never see anybody pinning into that spot on the map so i went in there one evening and shot the biggest buck of my life um (laughs) wow and still today he's the biggest deer i've ever killed i'm sure that sold you on the mobile hunting right then and there then it did it did and and honestly that was kind of the changing point for me is when whenever i shot that buck um which you can you can you can kind of see him he's he's right he's right there oh yeah that's you can kind of see him yeah, yeah, he's a good, he's a good buck. Um, but, but right then and there, man, is where I was like, I've, I've got to figure out something different. And so it kind of naturally progressed and, um, you know, I still go out like I'm a, I'm an opportunist hunter. If somebody, if on my dad's property out in Texas, like, yeah, I'm going to go and hunt his corn feeders. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an elitist. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with with anybody going out and doing that stuff, I've just kind of found what produces the best results for me. And, um, I, I really don't, I don't plan on changing anytime soon, you know, but I will occasionally, you know, I just like to hunt. I like to be out in the woods and the way I see it. Like if, if, if somebody, people might flip out hearing me say this, if somebody invited me to go on a, a free hunt, in South Texas on a high fence ranch, dude, I am there. I am going to go because honestly, if, 
that sounds a whole lot more fun to me than going to Six Flags or doing like the majority of things in life. Like I would rather be out hunting deer, you know, whether or not it's the style that I prefer, it's still more fun than like 95% of the other things in the world to me. And so that to say, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not trying to trash talk anybody's style of hunting and say that it's ineffective or it's not cool or whatever, like go out and do your thing. This is just kind of what I've found to be the most, the most rewarding and, most effective way for me i mean as long as it's legal and you own it you know and and you feel like that it you'd rather be spending your time doing that than going and doing something else then i don't see any issues with it at all obviously you know there's you know people get a bad rap when it when you're talking about like high fence deer or, or bait even um you know people are judgmental to that but if you want to make your hunting harder, that's fine. You know, that's that's up to you. You know, it, whatever caliber caliber of deer you want to shoot, that's up to you too. You know, just make it fun. Don't make it something that is. I mean, that's not what this sport is about. It's about just having yeah. fun and getting more people involved. Absolutely, man. I'm one hundred percent on that. I have people all the time. Uh, come to me and, you know, uh, they'll send me a, a, a picture. I'll be at church and a guy, another guy I know who likes to hunt, he'll come and be like, man, I shot this big buck. Now, it's not the kind of hunting you like to do. I'm not nearly that whatever, blah, blah, blah. I shot him on a food plot or whatever. And they assume that I'm going to be like, that I'm going to judge the way that they they killed that deer. Um, and I'm not, like, actually, that is the exact reason why that's it's it's one of the the main reasons why I started doing hunting the way that I do now is because what I found was I'm I'm an incredibly competitive person like and and competitive to the point where I am just a absolute d-bag um when I get in competition like I I don't I don't do a lot of competing anymore just because I know that that that's the worst version of me. Like I won't play church league softball. I'm not going to do any, like I'm not going to go out and play a pickup game of flag football. Cause I'm just a jerk. Whenever I get competitive, I hate losing. And my little girl, she's five and she got that same gene from me. Um, and I kind of see how it is. Like when she loses anything, she's like, I quit. I'm done. I freaking hate all you guys, you know? And I'm like, that is, that is me. And so I've kind of had to, to, had to bring that, in. And so I was finding myself, even with hunting, when somebody would come up to me and, and, or, or post that they killed a, a good buck, I'd get really just like, com- like this competitive nature would come out in me. I'm like, what the flip, man? Come on. Like, why can't I, why am I not doing that or whatever? Um, even if I was having a great season, I'd still get really competitive and I just know this part about me. And so I decided to try to hunt a heart, a, a, a high, a high reward type hunt and adventure hunts and, and low success rate, you know, lower success rate is what it, you know, at the beginning is what it was going to be is like, I'm going to try to go out on a boat on public land and kill deer. Like I did it so that I could be happy for other people when they were successful, knowing that the way I was doing it was much harder and the success was going to be, much more difficult to attain. Um, it it kind of it kind of helped me not 
have that competitive, jealous type attitude. It sounds more like uh, you were competing with yourself versus other people at that point, and that makes a lot of sense. That's exactly right, and and I know I know that about myself. I know that I I can be extremely extremely competitive, and so I wanted to be happy for my friends whenever they when they killed a big deer. I wanted to be able to be like, yeah, man, that's freaking killer. No matter how they did it, I don't care. I really don't give a flip how you killed a deer. If you killed it with a crossbow, if you killed it with a rifle, if you killed it with a bow, if you killed it with a dang snare trap if it, if it were legal like i i don't i don't really care how somebody kills a deer um and so i i really wanted to be i wanted to be i wanted to be an enjoyable person to hunt with and an enjoyable hunting buddy to know right and um what i found through all this man is that it made me a better hunter like it was now like uh i, I was in the store recently uh a local store here and this guy comes up and talking to me. He's like, man, I don't know how you're finding these bucks out here in this area. He's like, I just don't. He's like, I'm hunting a great piece of private land, and I don't see a quarter of the bucks that you see. And so, like, it actually kind of had the the opposite effect for me. Like, the payoff was great. It still is great. Like, I'm I'm seeing deer. I'm killing deer. Uh, having great success with it to the point where even private land, uh, you know, it's still exactly, that's exactly it. And, and even then, like, I'm just a guy putting stuff on YouTube for everybody to see. There are guys out there that are far exceeding what I'm doing that you just don't even know who they are. You know, like they're not putting any, any type of information out there, um, and that just goes to show for me, like, uh, anywhere, like in Alabama where I live, it's not a, a super high deer density area. Um, and there's guys out there killing world-class deer. My, one of my good friends, Michael Perry, he killed a, a 196 inch, um, deer on public land. It's the muzzleloader state record now. Um, and he killed it out here. And like people know who he is now because he's been on uh, he's been on my podcast he's been on a lot of podcasts and then when you shoot a state record deer people <laughs> people hear about it yeah uh, but for years this guy was just you know under the radar nobody knew who he was he was just out there killing deer every single year um, and so I think people who it's really easy to say like oh man I live in Louisiana and deer hunting's hard like I'm just gonna travel up. I'm, I'm just going to travel out of state and, and focus all my efforts on hunting Oklahoma or Kansas or whatever, Illinois. Um, but these Southern states, man, they, they do have deer and they do have big deer. Um, and so that was kind of like going back to your very first question about Southern ground and, uh, really focusing on content based out of the South. Like we want to highlight that stuff for guys who are willing to do the work and willing to go the extra mile, um, and grow as hunters. Like that's, that's ultimately what I want to see happen. Um, that's all. And it's been, it's been great so far. Yeah. I think you really putting out some good content, you know, and, you know, just getting some insight if you don't know who Parker is, I mean, you just go look on his YouTube and you can tell that he really is 
what he's practicing, what he preaches. I mean, you know, one of your best videos that for, for me is whenever you had been out of state hunting in other places and you just hadn't had the luck that you were trying to find and you go out and uh, you capitalize on a doe somewhere and you can tell in that moment how relieved and excited you are. You know, the monkey was off your back. You know, that was such a, that's such a cool thing because I don't think a lot of guys would relate you know they're only worried about a big buck but you know you get you show that it doesn't matter what you kill it's just exciting especially if you can challenge yourself man let me tell you the best advice that i could give somebody who is struggling with capitalizing maybe you see a lot of big deer and just maybe you get nervous or um, you're not set up the right way and he surprises you or whatever the best advice is kill a lot of flipping does like i i will go out and i'll do it again this year i'll probably shoot the first three or four does that i see um because it it helps me figure out like shooting like shot process on a live target um if you're filming you know there's not a better way to practice self-filming than shooting does uh because if it gets away and it runs off and you're not able to kill it no harm, no foul, right? Like, you can go kill another doe in a couple days next time you see one. Big bucks are different. If you're not practiced, if you're not, like, if you're if you're not zoned in and you don't have a, a, a working system, you see a hundred and, let's just say not even a giant buck, you see a hundred and ten inch deer and you haven't shot a deer all season, you're flipping out. You're like, oh, God, I got to do all this stuff. And... Like I have, and it still happens to me, man. Like I still, when I see a big buck, I can shoot all the does in the world. I shoot a big buck and everything's still different, but it at least helps me to a certain extent, you know, figure out these, uh, a lot of it's muscle memory system, having a system that's in place that works. And it's things that you wouldn't know unless you were practicing on live targets, you know, quite a bit. And, uh, so that's like a, that's a huge piece of advice I'd give somebody is shoot does. If you want to capitalize, if you're struggling to capitalize on bucks, um, shoot some does and it gets the monkey off your back. Um, and it's freaking fun, man. Like some of my favorite hunts in the world are the ones where we just go out and there's no expectation, right? It's like, I'm shooting anything going out to, uh, Mississippi last year. I did a hunt and it was, none of us had ever been to this area ever and we were just it was like kind of a last last end of season you know kick off or end of season uh i don't even know the right word that i'm looking for but we're in the season we're trying to end the season with a bang and we were like let's shoot everything everything that's legal we're gonna kill it and we killed some does and it was so much dang fun like it's so important to me to have fun doing it. And sometimes when I get in that big buck grind, it's so much of a grind and it's so high pressured and tense. And especially when you're doing it with a group of guys, if you got a group of people in camp and everybody is kind of the same way and everybody's, you know, just laser focused on bigger bucks, it's not quite as fun as, yeah, man, I saw three does today and I shot two of them. Let's go drag them out. You know, that's, that's a blast to me. For sure. For sure. So, um, switching gears a little bit, you 
Yeah, a stand set up, and now you're hunting with a saddle. Kind of tell us about saddle hunting, because I don't think I've done any content on hunting with saddles, and you've been hunting with saddles, I think, since Tethered started making a product. So I'd love to hear more about your experience with that and how that's become beneficial and, and why that's your number one way to hunt versus stand or climber. Yeah, uh, my first year, my first year hunting with a kayak, uh, I was not, I was using a different boat altogether and it didn't have as much space. So now I use a new canoe, has tons of space. If a guy wanted to put a climber in there, he'd be more than able to do it fairly easily. But, um, so I did this, uh, first year hunting with a kayak, used a Hawk Warbird climber and man, I thought I was something slick cause it was like, it like uh kind of nested together in a fairly slim package it's still like 20 pounds um but it nested together really well it was way more practical for that style of hunting than like a summit or api or something like that and uh did really well with it but still i mean climbers are heavy right like tree stands in general are heavy there's lone wolf makes uh the hand climber or sit and climb which does decent, you know, but still it's a little bit limiting on a pack. You start self-filming, you've got to carry camera arms and camera equipment and all that stuff. So you need a pack. Um, anyway, I did a podcast, my first ever podcast as a guest on the Nine Finger Chronicles with Dan Johnson uh, talking about kayak hunting. And I get a message from this dude uh, the day that the episode drops from a fellow named Greg Godfrey who is one of the owners of Tethered now. And Tethered hadn't wasn't even a thing yet. And he messages me on Facebook. He's like, hey, bro, uh, if you're hunting out of a kayak, you need to be hunting out of a saddle. Like, it's just a no-brainer. Let's say, like, that, that big old climber and that kayak, just, it's not practical. I'd heard about saddle hunting. Um, I'd followed John Eberhart. You know, I knew, I knew he was really big in the saddle thing. And, um... But it just was always kind of, I think for most people, when they hear about it, they're like, not for me. It seems a little bit daunting, a little scary, but uh, I start, he said, he sent me a whole bunch of videos that he'd done with G2 Outdoors, his YouTube channel, and I watched all of them, started watching a few videos about saddle hunting, I was like, it was that evening, I was like, I'm doing it. And I went on Facebook Marketplace and found somebody selling like an old, uh, like a, one of the really old trophy lines, and I bought it. And, uh, I got it. It came in the mail. This was not, this was like, uh, probably in February or so. And so deer season was pretty much over here. Um, I was just going to buy it so I could get ready to, to use it the next season. Well, around maybe April or May, I can't remember the exact timeline. Greg, Greg and I had kind of developed a friendship. I started the podcast. He came up on a on as a guest before tethered um talking about saddle hunting really getting fired up about it well he calls me one day he's like hey man i'm starting this company it's a saddle hunting company going to be the first of its kind really and uh you want to be on board with podcasts absolutely so they sent me the the mantis which is the original one that they made with the predator platform and the next season i was you know rolling and i actually shot a doe on opening day, my first sit in the saddle, and the way that I shot her, if you if if people are familiar, if you don't understand a saddle, so you're you sit facing the tree, 
you have a platform that your feet stand on. It's not super big, but it holds your feet up. Um, and then you're, you have a harness that's going around the tree and clipped into your, your saddle system. Um, I shot this deer directly behind me. So like at my six o'clock, um, I shot this deer. I, I was set up to shoot a deer in front of me, but I ended up shooting one directly behind me. And for me, that was, that, that, that sold it, right? Like I just shot this deer and it was comfortable. Like I wasn't in an awkward position. It was extremely comfortable. And I think that year I ended up shooting, <laughs> I shot way too many deer. Uh, if there is such a thing, I think I shot like 10 deer out of a saddle that year. Um, and absolutely fell in love with it. And, uh, it, it's been going, going strong ever since. So using the, using the boat was a big reason. Um, when I started filming my hunts, uh, like I said, you know, you're carrying a lot of stuff, camera arm, camera gear, GoPro, secondary angles, um, you're carrying stuff. And if you're trying to do that with a climber or a tree stand, especially at that time now, now we have Lone Wolf Custom Gear, who's making really cool stuff for the tree stand hunter, uh, the mobile tree stand hunter, where, I mean, you, it, it would be relatively easy to, to self-film, but a lot of people are doing it with their stand setup. Um, but at that time it just really didn't exist. And now my whole system revolves around a saddle. And so I just, you know, I stay with it. I like it. It's comfortable for me. Um, I can sit all day in my phantom and, uh, it like, I was talking to my buddy yesterday, uh, the, the tethered one sticks are like under a pound each. You have a three pound pl- platform. And like a 16 ounce saddle or something like that. I can't remember how much the Phantom actually weighs, but I mean, yeah, it's lightweight, man. Like last year I shot a, I shot a deer last year, uh, and I had all my filming equipment, all my saddle gear and everything. And I packed that deer out in my pack. Um, like to me, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. I wasn't super deep in there. I wanted to just see if I could do it. So, so for times or or for people who were curious on a video, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to see like, can you go three miles deep and get everything out in one trip if you shoot a deer? And the truth is, yeah, if you have the right system set up and the right pack and everything, yeah, you can do it. I I did it. Um, I wasn't that deep, but you know, I, I proved that you can in fact do that in one trip. And so, and that's for guys that don't even have film equipment. You know, a lot of hunters don't film their hunts. So for you to be able to do that with film equipment, that just goes to prove right there. It's, that's the way to go. So I also, uh, there's times when I'm a, I'm a big in season scouter. I like to scout in season. I don't do, I don't do much scouting in the, in the summertime. I'll deer scout while I'm turkey hunting, um, but most of my success comes from in-season scouting, finding the most recent sign, and scout my way until I find a spot that's worth crap. And um, when you're carrying a big stand, uh, carrying a climber in, it's kind of uncomfortable. It's not like even if it's lightweight, like you're still carrying a metal rack on your back. 
It's not super comfortable. Um, and it really limits mentally. It limits you. Um, if I'm carrying a 20 pound stand and I want to go scout three ridges over, man, I'm going to make a lot of decisions. Man, I really don't want to carry this stand up over there. I'll settle. I think is the right word. I'll, I'll settle for less than what I want with a saddle. Um, I wear it most of the time. I'm wearing it around on my butt. Uh, I've got very minimal stuff in my pack other than some lightweight filming equipment, uh, sticks and a platform. And it doesn't limit me. I don't, I don't make decisions based on how difficult it's going to be to get to a certain spot. And if I, if I scout my way and I'm scouting, 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 and I never find anything, I might not even set up that morning or that evening, but I don't just feel like I exerted too much energy. Whereas if I carried a climber on my back that whole way, you're talking about number one noise, like that crap's not quiet. Um, and also you just feel like you just wasted energy carrying something like that all over the place. Uh, and so like, I'll sit on the ground if I don't ever find a spot, if I find a, if I don't find a spot that I am willing to do a full setup on, it's no sweat off my pack. Literally. It's, it's kind of like, well, I just scouted with a, with a pack. That's all I did today. Um, you didn't waste, waste time and energy. So, um, that's a big deal for me. Uh, trying to think the other, I mean, filming from a saddle is great. Uh, I know most guys probably aren't doing that kind of stuff. Um, but I just enjoy it, man. Like I, I, I really, I'm more comfortable in it. It keeps me more on my, on my toes and aware. Um, it's, it's a little difficult to sleep in a saddle. Um, not because it's uncomfortable, but because of your, like your head positioning. And so I rarely will like just pass out in it. Whereas when I was using a climber, man, (laughs) there's days where you just, you pass out and you're like, you wake up, look at your watch and it's an hour later. You're like, crap, I don't even know what happened in that hour. Um, mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, like for some guys, that's great. You just want to go out and hang out and be comfortable and take a nap, enjoy the woods. That's great for, for me. I, I, I don't have a lot of interest in that, you know, like I'll still shut my eyes and doze off every once in a while, but I'm never going to be like lazy boy comfortable. Um, and so I, I, and I prefer that aspect of it. Um, and then you have uh, other advantages like getting into any tree, right? Like you can, with sticks and a saddle, like I could, almost any tree that you, you show me, I could, I could climb into it. And, um, if it has a bunch of branches, that's fine. We'll go over the branches, uh, with a sat with a climber. You can't do that. Um, you pretty much are limited to straight tall trees. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I really like the saddle. I understand that it's not for everybody. Um, but if you haven't tried one, I highly recommend giving it a shot. The other thing is, is in my opinion, it's much safer than a climber. Um, a climber, if you talk to old old timers, most guys who have been hunting for years and years and years out of a climber have a story of a time when a stand failed, when the strap 
broke or a bolt came a bolt bent came loose or whatever and those are things especially while you're climbing that you can't um you can't really plan for very well like you could climb with a harness attached to the tree and you'll be fine but i mean most guys aren't doing that most guys are not using a climber with a harness yeah honestly Uh, that that brings up a good good point maybe um from my own experience like you i started out using climbers and didn't really know anything about mobile hunting but i guess i was doing it all along with a climber and the last this is the last time i ever used a climber and uh i had you know it's all it's always smart if you are using a climber to have the top and the bottom tied together and i had that going on and i was going up a tree and i had my i i wear like a lineman's belt kind of to take me up almost like a lineman would do going up on an electric pole or something like that so i'm safe from the top to the bottom well i got halfway to three quarters of the way up the tree that i was heading up and i guess the rope was dry rot that was attached from the top to the bottom and the bottom of the platform slipped out of my footing and i guess it tugged on the rope tight enough that it ripped and the bottom of the platform ended up at the base of the tree. Now, fortunately, I was attached to the tree already, but also I'm I'm pretty limber and uh, I I can I can do some moves that maybe not a lot of guys can do. And so I was able to sit up on the top part of the platform. But I was sitting there thinking, how the hell am I going to get down? And the only way I got down was um, the bow rope. I had to like use the bow rope to kind of like lower myself down. And I, you know what I mean. It, <laughs> Had I not all had all those things going for me, I mean that really could have been a dangerous situation, um, and it it worked out okay. But you know I get what you're saying. Whenever you know you're talking about those old timers, and, and they always have a story. I guarantee anybody with a climber probably has a story similar to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some some of those things you just can't, you don't know, right? Like you don't know that one bolt that's holding the strap. Or, or the the chain on the climber is bending like those uh they call old man old man tree stands uh climbers like they're notorious for junk like this happening um and i and i and i i'm not trying to like dog climbing climber brands or anything like that but I'm so, I would say that they're probably getting a lot better. I mean, this happened to me a few years ago. I would imagine that every year with innovation and stories like you and I are talking about, that they're constantly making those things better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, some of them are user error, but some of them are not. Like 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 the stuff like a like a chain breaking or something like that. Some of them are not user error. It's just it's just QC, and sometimes you. Like it's not even these companies' fault necessarily. It's just not a a one hundred percent dependable um elevated hunting uh medium, I guess. But a saddle where, where when you're talking about saddle hunting, um there are there have been a couple of equipment malfunctions that have happened. Even even companies like Tethered, I think every saddle company has had something that I have seen that's been on social media of, uh, an equipment malfunction. But if you're doing it all correctly, um, most of the things that could potentially fail 
if you're doing everything correctly, it's not going to put your life in danger. You might, you know, bang yourself up against a tree or whatever, but it's not going to kill you. Whereas some of these climbers and tree stand stuff, like it could kill you, <laughs> you know, like, um, that's why I really like what like lone wolf custom gear has done is they've, and beast, the beast stand is the same way, uh, is doing these machined aluminum pieces. Cause like welds are notorious for breaking. I think with climbers, uh, that is to me, the weakest point is most of them have welds somewhere on it and they just break, man. They just they crack and do all their stuff. Whereas these machined aluminum pieces are, are stout and they don't, they don't have that weak, that weak point like a lot of the elder tree stands do. And, and like you said, you know, there's people are innovating and, and doing that stuff consistently, but it's every year, man. It's even still every year you hear of people who either die or, um, yeah, get, get seriously injured. And I feel, uh, I feel like I'm pretty in touch with the saddle hunting community and I see or hear about a lot of the stuff when it happens. And if there is a, a serious injury that occurs, it's usually user error. Like um, going over a branch and removing your lineman's belt to go over that branch. Well, then you've just taken away your only point of contact with the tree. And so, you know, that if you do that, then your chances are going to go up that you'll hurt yourself. But if you're, you know, carrying an extra rope just for or using your tether as a lineman's belt to go over branches, then you really don't have anything to to worry about, uh, which is great for me. I I enjoy I enjoy being able to be up in a tree and be 100 percent confident that I'm safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm running the the point five lone wolf, wolf custom gear uh, tree stand and. I tell you what, man, that has been a game changer for me. Uh, like you talked about with the filming aspect, I've not tried a saddle, man. You're getting me excited to try one, and so, you know, that's something I'll have to look into. But I mean, honestly, between those two options and you know the beast stand as well, there's pick your poison because those are quality equipment that seem to be relatively safe and uh, you know are really good for mobile hunting is you know kind of bringing it back to where where this conversation all began is is you know making it easier on yourself is going to make you more mobile in the end of the day yeah absolutely and 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 staying mobile man it goes a whole lot deeper than the the type of tree stand that you're using or elevated hunting method uh it goes deeper than you know using your access and it, it, there's a whole lot of aspects of being a mobile hunter. It would be impossible to talk about it all in one podcast episode, but, um, you know, we, we're doing this, uh, it's not really a series, but we've kind of had a, a focus on out of state hunting on our podcast lately and, and talking to people who are good at it, who are very effective and it always seems like those type of people are the ones who are even be willing to be mobile in where they're hunting, like the WMA that they're hunting, like talking about learning how to come up with a system for sleeping in your truck to where you're not tied down to a, a hotel room or Airbnb or a cabin and you can move around and find the best places within a state, you know, 
to be the most effective. Uh, like it, it, there's all kinds of aspects within mobile hunting that I think, um, people could, people could benefit greatly from. Yeah, there's a lot of content out there, and I, you know, this is one of our first big mobile hunting podcasts. I know that a lot of the guys with the five seven three do mobile hunt, you know, so we should definitely probably talk about it a lot more. So I'm glad that, you know, you could come on and and tell us a little bit about your experiences and how it's benefited you. Absolutely, man. I'm I'm always excited to talk about it. Like, um, at the end of the day, like I said, I'm very competitive. And so, uh, like some, some stuff, I'm not going to say I don't share, but I might overshare some of the stuff. Uh, uh, there was a, Dan and fault did a video, I think it was this past deer season and he was, he was hunting this buck and he was like, man, I'll be honest with you. Uh, all the content that has been shared, like a lot of the spots that I would typically go and hunt, people are figuring it out. People are becoming better hunters and it's kind of hurting my hunting um and so i i love i absolutely love to talk about it and i love to share information and it's fun to me you know i i enjoy this conversation but uh you know there are there are some aspects that like people are getting better at it like they're they're figuring things out um people who are hardcore are they're going to be hardcore and they're going to figure it out and there's always going to be new people every year that decide to really commit the same way I did seven years ago. There's going to be those people every single season. Um, and here's the thing that I would, uh, uh, I would, I would end maybe end what I know and maybe, maybe my knowledge about this subject by saying there is not an easy way to do this, right? There's, we're talking about all this stuff. You hear this on podcasts all the time. Um, like the, the, the one step, like clickbait titles, one step to killing big bucks in your area. There is no such thing. Like it doesn't exist. Uh, deer are only predictable to a point. Uh, especially when you talk about mature deer, big, bigger bucks, they're, they're, they're not going to be, you're not going to go listen to a podcast and all of a sudden be a great hunter. Like you have got to go and figure these things out. Um, people think, you know, they hear me talk about water access and they think, well, all I've got to do is go out water access, man. I've got a buddy who literally hunts the same spots that I do, uh, just because he's figured out that that's where I'm hunting and he has yet to kill a deer in any of these spots. Like it's not the, it's not an easy fix. There's no such thing as an easy fix. So go out and, um, figure it out like learn deer and don't expect don't expect to find a a a one trick that is gonna all of a sudden make you successful on on deer because it's it's not out there yeah totally right man um before we jump off here you know let let the audience know that you're actually the one that revamped our logo so i know you do uh, a lot of other things outside of hunting and hunting content Kind of, um, you know, tell the listeners where they can find your you if they want to do some graphic design, or you know if they want to follow you on your social medias. Yeah, um, yeah, like you said, I, last year, uh, a year ago, um, at the beginning of July, a year ago, 
I quit my job and went full-time into business for myself. And I do web design and graphic design. That's all through a company called Whitehawk Creative, like the the color white or absence of color, white, hawk like the bird, creative. And uh, I own the company, and it has been incredible. It's allowed me to do more hunting, which is great. Uh, I can do my job from absolutely anywhere. As long as I have a computer and internet, I'm good. And so, um, that has been, that has been pretty awesome. Uh, but if somebody's looking for a logo design, uh, website design or anything, wedding invitations, business cards, whatever, uh, hit me up. You can find me on social media. I think it's just Whitehawk Creative Co. on all the social media, um, outlets and then southern ground i do um uh instagram facebook tiktok youtube and then podcast and you can just search southern ground hunting it'll probably probably pull up there and uh yeah i I, we do weekly podcasts and then trying to be fairly consistent on youtube stuff Uh, i had a new uh, a new face that joined the youtube channel this for this season his name's matt reeves and uh, we're putting some of his older videos up right now through the summer. So you know, there's a bunch of fresh, fresh new hunts on there that a lot of people probably hadn't seen. So, um, yeah, give us a give us a follow and uh, subscribe on the channel. We try to do as good of a job as we possibly can. Awesome, man. Yeah, um, this has been a fun, fun episode. It's got me fired up. Um, I've got the rest of the day ahead of me, so I'm probably going to go put out some more trail cameras or or do some scouting um so i'm really excited for the deer season ahead of us and you know i appreciate the conversation appreciate you coming on you know um did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we jump off here no man i i think i think we just about covered it all i'm i'm really grateful for the opportunity to come and listen to me ramble about about deer um and hopefully not piss people off and more than anything, inspire people to go out and try something new. Heck yeah. Well, that's how we do it on the 573. We'll see you guys on the next one.